So in lesson uh, nine here, as we think through Spiritus Recreator, part one, again, continuing to work through Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Holy Spirit, which we're adapting for this Sunday school class. As we transition to lesson nine in this next section, Sinclair Ferguson starts the chapter by saying this, the union with Christ into which the spirit brings us <clears throat> is multi-dimensional in character. Now, would you agree with that? Why, why not? Um, if you do agree, what would you say are some different aspects that are involved in our union with Christ? Or if I can put it this way, um, the believer can say, I am united to Christ in, in this, or my being united to Christ also means this. What are some other things that, that come to mind for you that are involved in the believer's union with Christ? Think about the mind, the heart, the affections, the will, <clears throat> joys, sadnesses. What, what, what comes to mind? Yep. Versus this world. Yep. Yep. That's Colossians 3. Set your minds on the things above. Yep. So the way you think about things is different. What else? I think to the, the way you react <clears throat> to things. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah. So a, a major place I think we can see that is um, when we are suffering. Right. Uh, so Christ suffered, leaving us an example and trusting himself to him who judges justly. When we suffer, we can suffer with our minds on the things above. Right. So we're not just reactionary to, to everything, but. We can remember the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and that informs how we respond. Yep. What else? Anything else come to mind? Yep. <clears throat> That's the uh, sort of centerpiece of the gospel, the great exchange. His righteousness is now our righteousness. He's treated as if he were us. We're treated as if we were him. Right? Yep. <clears throat> Romans 6, 5, and talking about being united to Christ, says this. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 says when we um, talk about union with Christ, essential to that union is regeneration and faith. Although regeneration and faith are not identical um, at the same time, they can't be existentially separated from each other. Um, this is what Kyle was teaching on a couple weeks ago, actually. When he talked about the logical relationship and the order of salvation. Regeneration and faith belong together. They're bound together in such a way that it's hard to see where the action of God ends and the activity of the believer begins. So they're, they're, they're knit together. Now, men are commanded to repent and believe the gospel, to repent and have faith. But the Reformed and Calvinistic branches of 
Protestant Christian uh, beliefs um, has seen salvation, as scripture identifies it, as the work of God. And the work of God, that we, we qualify that by saying the work of God alone. <clears throat> From beginning to end, in other words, even the faith that a person's commanded to exercise is attributed to God. God gives it as a gift to them. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then someone else read Philippians 1.29. Philippians 1.29. Right. So here, Paul talks about something being granted, given, gifted. And he says, suffering, but also faith, belief. Now, both of those we can look at it. Well, suffering is it's been granted to us to suffer. That's that's can be difficult. But then he also says not just that, but faith is granted to you. It's given to you. It's gifted to you. And so it points us again to the reality that salvation is caused of or from him, through him and to him are all things, even our very salvation. Now, we want to want to take some time to talk specifically about regeneration and what we see happening in the heart and the will of the person and how it may be connected to broader creation and what the spirit is doing in, in the, this age as, as, a, as a whole. So the word for regeneration is used twice in the New Testament. The first place is Matthew 19:28. Matthew 19:28. The ESV says, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, that's the word they use for regeneration, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the, tribe, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. The KJV reads a little different, or the, the KJV reads a little different. It says, And Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, that ye which followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne on his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the Greek word there for ESV, New World, Regeneration. Uh, King James translates regeneration. The Greek word there means rebirth or spiritual renovation or spiritual restoration. So if you think about just the housing market, um, a lot of people have gotten into the housing market and flipping houses and they find a house and it's in terrible condition and they go in and they want to renovate it. What are they doing? They're redoing the walls and the floors and paint and appliances and electrical work and plumbing. They're making it different than what it was before. They're renovating it. That's the same thing behind this word used in the New Testament. John uses it to talk about the renewal of all things. Same idea, restoration, regeneration. In other places, you see the Greek word for regeneration um, or another place you see it used is Titus 3.5. Someone read Titus 3.5 for us. 
tight as 3-5. Go for it. Thank you. So these all have the same root Greek word, regeneration, restoration, renewal, renovation. <clears throat> now, when Paul uses the word renewal, that same word we see there in Titus 3, 5, when he uses that in Romans 12, 2, he compares it to what's happening um, in this age and pointing to what will happen in the age to come. Right? He compares what's happening now and using renewal and says something is coming this is moving towards something that's coming that's better this will be renewed in what's coming now ferguson sort of builds on this when he pulls from herman ritterboss which is a dutch theologian when he looks at scripture and sees the connection between personal regeneration and the end of the age when regeneration um, is used in scripture, so it has a range of, of uses, all sort of have the similar root meaning, but it has a range of uses. It doesn't simply point to a spiritual change from within, from below, but it also points to transformation without. So when renewal, regeneration, restoration is used in scripture, it talks about the man, his heart, his will, his affections, but the same language is also used to talk about creation and the cosmos. And so there's a connection between these two, what the Spirit is doing in his divine work. And when you think about the phrase new world, which we just read in Matthew 19, which refers to the age to come, regeneration includes, <clears throat> again, the cosmic transformation of all things and participation with the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Spirit is, the Spirit is recreating Christ the first fruits we in Christ the spirit is working and also in the age to come the spirit is renewing all things in Christ so that in the age to come there is a total renovation this is why we don't believe in annihilationism right we don't believe that the world will be uh, wiped uh, um, clean from the slate of history but it's going to be recreated the Bible says once with a flood, not by water anymore, but by fire. So it's going to be this refining and this recreating. Um, and you see that language throughout the um, New Testament as well, and especially the, the epistles, Paul's epistles. So not, not only believers, but the world as we know it will participate in the Spirit's work of recreation. Uh, turn to Romans 8, 21 to 23. Now, this, is, this passage is, is interesting because it uses language <clears throat> that is also used of the human being, of, of, of the man or, or woman. It uses language here that's, that makes sense in the context when you're talking about a person. But listen to what it says here about creation. Romans 8, 21 to 23. Who wants to read that for us? Barani, go for it.
Okay. So these two are, are tied, this language of, of groaning, longing for, uh, something of desire. It says, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And then it talks about men, the first fruits of the spirit, groaning inwardly and waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons. So we wait, we long, we, we groan, we feel the weight of our own sin, at times guilt, shame. Um, we feel our bodies, my body is aching right now from softball practice yesterday. Like, why did I do that for so long? <laughs> we feel that, right? But here it uses that language and says, not just you, but creation is groaning, waiting, longing for the revelation of the sons of God. It's longing, waiting for its renewal, its restoration, its renovation. Just really interesting language and connection there. Now let's, let's talk about that specifically. New creation, new life. And you can see that on your handout if you have it in front of you. So I'll go back to the man and then we'll come back to creation if I have time. I mentioned at, at the beginning of the class, we're gonna end a little early because I have to run upstairs. So we'll try and end around 9.45, 50-ish. Uh, so I can, I can go upstairs. New creation, new life. <clears throat> now maybe you've heard people describe their conversion as being born again. Have you heard people say that? I was born, born again at this time or that time. That language is right and it's appropriate to use when talking about what happens to a person when they're regenerated. The Apostle Paul uses this same type of language when he talks about the new creation work of God. John 1, 12 to 13. You can turn there or just listen. It says, but to all who did receive him, who belong or who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And John 1, that, that new life, that born again language what happens here is described as something that God does. John says it's of God. But we know that, and we've talked about this in past classes, um, that the, the works of the, the Trinity are not, are not divided. Even when we see in places in scripture where it highlights one person of the Trinity, maybe the Father, maybe the Son, maybe the Spirit, we know that all persons, all the, our one God is involved. Um, not to the separation of the Father apart from the Son and the Spirit, Spirit apart from the Father and the Son. So even here, when it says it's a work of God, the Spirit is the quiet agent that is miraculously working and changing the heart and the will of the person. In John 3, 5 to 8, it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So absolute sovereignty. Spirit moves where it wills, how he wishes. 
not by man's volition, man's will, which we'll talk about in a sec, but God's absolute sovereignty even there over salvation. <clears throat> now, let me, I'm going to pause there in any thoughts before we, before we move on. That is interesting. There are different interpretations of what water and spirit mean, um, and different scholars have pointed to to different things. But there are some, and reading on that subject, if you are curious and somewhat of a nerd like me, water and the spirit is a really interesting subject to to read about. Some pointed to baptism, some pointed to Genesis, new creation. Um, Some pointed to... Uh, interesting, one, one interpretation is that the water um, represents um, man and the seed of man, which was used in rabbinic sort of writings and law. And as one is born of the seed of man, one has to be born of the seed of the spirit, um, essentially being Christ. So it's just really interesting interpretations there. But so anyway, let me let me move on. So Nicodemus who was, a, was a, a Pharisee, who was actually the one that Jesus was speaking to in that context. He was familiar with rabbinic writings and language. So it's actually, it, uh, I, I think my, my um, conviction now is that how he understood that would have been in connection with the natural seed and the spiritual seed and that, that language used there. But the Apostle Paul used the same language when he refers to, to Christians. In Galatians 4.29, it says, But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. So the spirit is the, the, the point here. The spirit is the divine mechanism by which we participate in the new creation. We are new creatures in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.20 refers to Christ as the first fruits in us to be what he is is like, not God, of course, but in his likeness. Our regeneration is rooted in Christ's resurrection. Our regeneration is the first fruits of Christ's resurrection. He has purchased for us regeneration. So when we talk about like all the benefits of what Christ has accomplished for us, um, you might hear me say that during the Lord's Supper, we we participate and take the Lord's Supper as as a benefit of what Christ has purchased. Um, baptism, a benefit of what Christ has purchased, regeneration, a benefit of what Christ has purchased for us. All these things come through regeneration and not just us, but the, but the whole cosmos. Right, here's a quote from Ferguson's book on page 119 in paragraph six. He says, here then in the deep structures of New Testament thought The eschatological nature of regeneration is underscored. The spirit who has come at Pentecost is the spirit 
of the future age. The world into which he brings believers is marked by the powers of the eon to come. See that in Hebrews 6, 4 to 5. As was the ministry of Jesus in the sense that his miracles were themselves conformatory signs that the anticipated future age of the Messiah and the spirit has already arrived. So he looks back at Jesus and his signs even when we talk about how the earth is corrupted by sin. So decay, disease, uh, groanings, um, all these things. When Christ comes on the scene and he fulfills prophecy in Isaiah and he heals diseases, the sick, the lame, the poor, um, the blind see, the, 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 the lame are healed, the dead are raised. There's a divine reversal happening and his miracles, he's undoing what the first Adam brought upon himself in creation. And Ferguson looks at that and says, even in his ministry, he's, you see glimpses of the age to come. The age to come has broken into this age. And he says, well, the same thing is happening in the believer and in the cosmos. The age to come has broken into this age as it moves us towards that end of the restoration of all things, which is a really interesting thought. It, I think it, like, it helps you to zoom out and see salvation and regeneration and restoration as not just sort of my, my personal faith to the, to the side over here, but the spirit is working in, in creation. Creation is groaning, longing for that day. The saints are groaning and longing for that day. But we, <clears throat> the difference between us and, I don't know, those who are like, save the earth, save the earth, save the earth, like picket signs, is that we, we have a, a, a faith and logic for that. Yes, we, are, we, we don't make an idol of, of the earth, but we do have a responsibility um, in it, but it's unto the end that the spirit is working in the church and even in creation unto that, unto that end. <clears throat> it's 945. I have another section that I won't get to, but maybe I'll pick it up next week. Um, so it's divine monergism. When I talk about, when we say um, regeneration is monergistic, if you've heard that term before, I want to talk about what that means and uh, why we use language like that and where we see it in scripture. Salvation being of God alone. But I have to close out to run upstairs. Um, I'm going to pray. You guys pray for me. I'm going to run upstairs to, to preach in the Chinese church. Um, so pray for me and you guys will be dismissed after I pray. Okay. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, your holiness, your kindness, your temperance, your omniscience, your omnipotence, uh, your infinite knowledge, your divine, infinite immutability, all these things, uh, I think, put our minds and our hearts in a right position to realize that we are creatures and you are creator. And Lord, we, we give you thanks for your mercy to us. We pray that even what we've been able to talk about in this short time has been helpful, useful. May it um, uh, stir us to further reading, learning, loving what we see and behold in your scriptures about you. I pray you would bless us. Lord, give me grace as I go upstairs to preach that it would be effective. Make your word to be effective and affectionate in the hearts of our brothers and sisters and saints in the Chinese church. 
may you glorify yourself in that. In Christ's name, amen.